A quick note here from Dante Stack, that's me. All the music and sound effects you hear in this episode and every other episode of Saw the World is appropriately attributed at DanteStack.com. What you're about to hear was originally released in two parts. We called those Episode 73A, The Atticus Perspective, and 73B, The Jennifer Perspective. For your convenience, we've merged those into one longer episode. Sit back, enjoy, and when you hear the first gong, it's not the end. Previously, unsolve the world. Go down. Jen looked down. There was a steep wooden staircase leading down maybe ten feet. The room below looked to be painted emerald green and was quite well lit. Take the last door. Go in. Close door. Make no sound. Count to number one thousand. What? Why? The Black Humvee party, having rid themselves of the annoyance of smugly security, were now setting up explosives outside the hatch door entrance to the temple. Soon, they would plunder through. He will appear to you. Hurry. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. You, my concubine of the moment. Episode 73, Perspectives. Even ten feet down in this cubby hold, Atticus could hear the firefight, hear the onrushing doom. He'd read the papers. The description matched. Black Humvees. If they were willing to torch a whole town in Texas just to get to Jen, Atticus had no doubt they wouldn't mind defiling one little Buddhist temple. Smugly's ploy had almost worked. It did, on most of the world. All the cameras and drones spying in on Jennifer Dash watched her die, watched her be decimated in the glass house. They took her down, covered her body, and drove her to a cemetery where she was promptly buried. Free Church live-streamed Jen's funeral. They made a big ordeal of the whole thing. And the world, well, most of it, bought the scam, hook, line, and sinker. A young girl, approximately the same height, hair color, and age as Jen, died at 6 a.m. on the dot, Friday morning, 15 floors below Jen. There were a lot of dead bodies to deal with in the glass house, so a little confusion was to be expected. Counted on, actually. The body of Jen was switched with this girl en route to the cemetery. Somewhere along the way, Jen awoke from the mild anesthetic she'd been given. It was all a trick, some high-level Romeo and Juliet stuff. From the hearst she was in, Jen was given instructions to hide herself in a small compartment carved out of the back of the passenger seat. By the end of the day, Jen was safely hidden out of sight in the submarine, where she waited for Atticus. The world mourned Jennifer Dash. The many days of below-sea-level travel helped disperse any rumors that Jen had somehow survived. The world believed she was gone. So how then did these black Humvees know better? Someone must have squealed. Who? The answer to that question didn't matter right now. 
Atticus was hoping the monk's underground vault would successfully hide Jen and himself from the hunters. His hip hurt like crazy. Atticus had to abandon his cane in order to descend the steep wooden steps. On top of that, he was holding a loose-leaf translation, in English, of the Croatoan, the most mysterious book in all of human history. If they weren't in such immediate peril, Atticus would have insisted on stopping right here in this green underground hallway, planting himself down and reading every bit of the manifold manuscript. They were, however, being chased, and Jen had instructions on where precisely they needed to go. The last door. The passageway was tight, tight enough so that both of Atticus's shoulders scuffed the green shag carpet walls as they walked. There were doors that swung inward to their left and right, three on either side. But straight ahead, looming over the end of the petite hallway, a final door, painted bright red. Against the green and the pasty yellow lights overhanging, the door beamed ominousness. This seemed like a perfect setting for a plot twist in a horror film. Two teenagers unwittingly open a scary red door in a secret department in the heart of a super-duper fancy Buddhist temple, unleashing Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Mike Myers, and Jack Nicholson from The Shining all at once from their Buddhist chains. This was a door of nightmares. Atticus could feel it. Despite his fear and huge misgivings, Jen swarmed right on through the door. Atticus followed. Oh God, how he wished there was just one window around here. The room was entirely red. Its walls were jaggedy, made out of... what? Some sort of brittle substance. The stuff protruded out in long tendrils every few inches. Was it fiberglass? Atticus had been in the school band for a semester as a freshman. The band equipment was in major need of refurbishing. Atticus, who at the time hadn't hit his growth spurt yet, nor knew what a gym was for, had to slip on an overgrown sousaphone every day. The tuba-like instrument was made out of fiberglass, and it seemed to Atticus that it cut him every single day, always leaving little pricks and splinters under his skin. This room looked like it was made out of the same stuff. Atticus was afraid that the whole thing would shatter into a bazillion pieces if he dared to touch anything. Further in, yet beyond, there lay, hanging from the ceiling, what looked like a fluffy cotton candy-style rug. Atticus, left to his own devices, would have assumed there was only wall, or at the very least, more pointing sousaphone stuff on the other side of the rug. Jen knew better. She walked through it, through the cotton candy rug. Big breath. <gasps> Atticus followed. It wasn't just one rug, it was a whole series. Atticus was blindly walking, trying to follow Jen, one hand outstretched to block the next string of cotton candy from attacking his manuscripts. Finally, after five or six of these rugs, a breakthrough. One final room. Still, no windows. Jen spoke. Her voice was different here, as if she was speaking directly into his mind. The acoustics must be insane in this place. Otherworldly. I think we can only go one at a time. Go? Jen's face scrunched up, stern expression. You should go first. Jen, there's nowhere to go. Was that his voice? The sensation of hearing your own voice in this place was similar to the feeling you get when your hand is asleep and you rest it on your head. It's as if someone else is touching you. Someone utterly alien. Atticus was hearing his voice now as if someone else was using it. This was mind-numbing. Atticus, I think this is a quiet place. Jen pointed at a circle painted in the center of the room. Sit in the middle of the circle. Count in your head to 1,000. 
More intimately than he intended, Atticus grabbed the back of Jen's neck with his own free hand. Where will you be? I'll wait for you. So many questions. Atticus couldn't decide on which one to ask. What's going to happen? Where will this take me? Is this what you did at the Kaaba? Will it work? Will it take us out of here? Will it hurt? Is it dangerous? There are times for questions, and there are times for action. Atticus pulled Jen in with his hand and kissed her there. It didn't last long. I'll see you, Atticus said reassuringly, still caressing the back of Jen's neck, staring into her eyes. I'll see you, Jen Dash said, between heavy-set breaths. Then, she turned away. Okay, Atticus, sit. Breathe. One. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65. Atticus could hear his heartbeat. Hear the intricate rhythm of his breaths. Feel the oxygen pulsing into his lungs. The molecules split and distributed throughout his body. His blood was so loud, he could hear everything. It zoomed like a bullet out of a gun with every heart pump, only to slow to a crawl almost instantly, like a kid hopped up on Adderall, now crashing. And it repeated. Bullet. Crash. Bullet. Crash. Bullet. It was hard to stay focused. 90. 91. 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 100, 101, 102, 103, 104, 
105, 106, 107, 108, 109, 110, 111, 112, 113, 114, 115. Still more. It was like listening to the sea. Beyond the blood, something else, something deeper. Electricity? Something in the brain. Two twenty. Two twenty one. Two twenty two. Two twenty three. Two twenty four. Two twenty five. Twenty six. Two twenty seven. Two twenty eight. Two twenty nine. Two thirty. Two thirty one. Two thirty two. Two thirty three. 234, Atticus didn't feel like a person anymore. Hold on to what you know. Hold on to who you are. The din of the noise was cacophonous, debilitating. It was so loud. All this noise, all this crashing systematization. All from within his cage. His body. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Somewhere around 400, it happened. Atticus met a man. He was standing now, Atticus. Standing and walking beside someone. A man wrapped in brown cloths. A bearskin, maybe. Atticus walked toward nowhere, from nowhere. His manuscript still bundled up in his hands. The man beside him was far shorter, walked with something of a limp. Skinny. Atticus couldn't see his face. It was covered. Or blurred, maybe? No words were needed. Intuitively, Atticus knew what to do. This was a negotiation. Atticus wanted something. So did the man. Did he really need the manuscript in his hands? Was it not worth getting to Anmo, getting to see Scout again? Somehow, Atticus knew. This man would get him there. He had all the power in the world, didn't he? Not all the power. He lacked something. The manuscript. And Atticus had it. The one thing this man needed. Atticus stopped walking. He paused, turned to the shorter man beside him. The man turned as well, lifted a hand up towards Atticus, beseeching him for the document. There was no mystery here. It was a simple transaction, a book for a safe passage. Atticus handed it to the man. As if on an invisible escalator, the man flew away. Or maybe it was Atticus that was moving. The man was just a mirage now, a dot, a nothing. Still... Atticus needed confirmation. She gets to come too! That's the deal! Atticus screamed at the ghost. He 
did not reply. Jennifer Dash. Pied Piper, I presume. Jennifer walked beside the Pied Piper. They were back on the Louisiana Road, that one that Jen hitchhiked on. The one Dahl Burden picked Jen up on. It was night. Piper's fine. Never cared for the Pied part, personally. Welcome. Is this where you live? Was Piper an eternal hitchhiker? Images of an old Twilight Zone episode swooshed through Jen's mind. A woman was traveling alone across the country. She kept seeing the same hitchhiker. She was dead in the end, wasn't she? That was the twist. The classic Twilight Zone twist. But who was the hitchhiker? No, child, this is just where I take calls. Jen grimaced. Don't call me child. She didn't want to be associated with any language that connected the two of them. The whole world is my child. Did that mean something? Maybe. No time to get distracted, old girl. Stay on point. Is Atticus okay? Did you hurt him? Why would you think that? That kiss. said reassuringly, still caressing the back of Jen's neck, staring into her eyes. I'll see you, Jen Dash said, between heavy-set breaths. Would Atticus remember it? Think of it as important as it felt? Or was it another one of those go-out-swinging kind of kisses? Why would I want to hurt him? You're the villain. Villains hurt good people. Jen examined the Piper's clothing. He was dressed to the hilt in a brown tuxedo. Every seam fit perfectly. It looked handcrafted, particularly for his form. It was luxurious, wow-inducing, and gentlemanly. I've found in my experience that quite the opposite is true. The bad guys are the seducers. They say what you want to hear, give you what you want to receive. That's how you stole those children. Look at me. I'm a short man. I'm not physically strong, either. People like me have to use their wits. That's all we have. I think you have a lot more than that. Maybe, once upon a time, I had more than that. In your grandfather's nursery rhymes, perhaps. But not here. Not now. Who are you, anyway? You've come to me because you want something. Is that not true? Ask for what you want. 
If I can give it, I will. Jen couldn't hold back. She said firmly, I want to kill you. You're not the first young lady to say that to my face. Look around you. If you can find anything to kill me with, then go right ahead. Be my guest. I'm not that kind of person. I don't kill. Oh, but you and I both know you have. Let's see here. I'm trying to find... Trying to pinpoint the very thing. It's not easy. Whatever he was talking about, it was making Jen nervous. What thing? What thing? The thing that makes you so special. The thing that makes everyone go ga-ga-goo-goo over Jennifer, calling free Firth ne imidash. Did I catch them all? I don't smell anything unique in you. You're not especially beautiful nor brave. While you're not dim-witted, I certainly wouldn't call you top-shelf quality intelligent. You're lean, but not overpowering. Your holier-than-thou attitude is nothing new. Your pseudo-morality a tale as old as time. Just like everybody else, the rules are good until they become inconvenient. One, don't kill. Two, don't involve yourself in sexual conduct of any sort. Three, don't idolize anyone or anything. Four, don't owe anyone anything. Five, don't gamble what you don't have. Six, don't wage war. Seven, always smile even when you don't feel like it. Eight, when escaping, know beforehand what you're escaping into. Nine, make friends everywhere, but don't trust one friend over another. Ten, people will always want something from you. Find out what it is. Tell me, how many of old Joseph Further's rules have you broken? Eight? Nine? Ten? Jen sped up her pace of walking. They were guidelines, not rules. A truck was coming. Instinctively, Jen pushed out her thumb. Feeling defensive, my poor little daughter? I'm not your daughter. The whole world is my daughter. The truck was pulling over. Open door. Jen hopped in. The piper was at the helm. Jen sat, looked back on the pavement. No one there. The piper was here, in the truck. He was the truck driver. Jen swallowed, trying to accept this strange universe. Did you hurt Atticus? What's it matter to you? He's my friend. Was Marion your friend? How do you know her? I keep tabs. She's a lost one. Hands in the air, Jen asks exasperatedly, Why are you this way? Age changes us, young one. What do you want, Piper? <laughs> so many things. As he said this, his eyes glistened, grew big. He swiveled the 18-wheeler. Jen grabbed the dash and panicked. Jenny, when you know what I know, what becomes most important are the few things you don't know. What don't you know? I don't know how close I am. Piper was trailing off, staring at some void in the distance. Is Leviathan about to wake? We can only hope. Leviathan? Leviathan? He knows about Leviathan. Is he... she... Is Leviathan like they say it is? 
Piper slams on the brake. Jen, pressing against the window, wedged her body weight against the door and suddenly, with decisive terror, kicked Doll hard in the side. Doll screamed and hit the brakes hard. Jen splattered against the front window and then collapsed back towards her seat. Six, seven, eight. Jen was frozen. Nine, ten, eleven. Wait. Who, my doll? For a split second, Piper looks like Dolores' burden. Jen double takes and he's back. Who told you about Leviathan? Just this guy, a rabbi, I think. He was telling his kids about Leviathan, Ziz, and Behemoth. They're not in the truck anymore. They're in the fast food joint. The one Jen was in so long ago. The one wherein she first heard Itamar Levi answer his daughter's question about whether or not unicorns are real. Only, now it's just Jen and Piper, sitting in a booth facing each other. Jen can make out the rabbi and kids, she thinks, sitting a few seats up, but they're out of focus, unmoving, like an impressionistic painting. Ziz is gone. Behemoth is dead. Piper says flatly. Jen's excited. Confirmation. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's what the rabbi said. Careful. What? Why? You won't like how that story ends. St. George dies searching for the sea monster. That's how it ends. That's the end of good old St. George's story, not Leviathan's. How does Leviathan's story end? Can you draw Leviathan with a fishhook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant? You have something for me. I do? Jen asks. The front door swings shut. Jen's walking out of her home. It's in your backpack. Piper standing, leaning against the neighbor's mailbox, waiting for her. Thunder. Jen, marching with gated steps, swings her black backpack around to her front. She unzips it, peers in. The crow tones in there. The Pied Piper extends his hands out towards Jen. Give it here, little young one. Why should I? That's your ticket. My ticket where? To Onmo, silly. What if I say no? You can't. Can't? Or won't? Jen responds. Atticus has already given me his translation of the text. You want to be with him. That's your prime concern, so you'll give it to me. I can still choose not to. Piper furrows his brow. Technically, maybe, but not really. It's all semantics. The cat has always been dead, or always been alive. In this case, you've always given me the book. Atticus has already given me his translation of the text. You want to be with him. That's your prime concern, so you'll give it to me. Why are you, why are you talking that way? Jin hands the book to the polished man. Like everything's already happened. I wish I saw it. The piper says, seemingly to himself and no one else. 
I should have been able to see it. See what? You're a disappointment to me, Jennifer Dash. He was becoming fainter now. The whole world, actually. Faint. Smudgy. Will we meet again? 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 I'm afraid we will. So very afraid.